Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, introducing Your Cancer, a program to spotlight the cancer community and recognize those at the forefront of cancer care. Learn more at yourcancer.org. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar, Stephen Gore, and Peter Schwartz. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about the role of social work in palliative care for cancer patients with licensed clinical social worker Edward Schwartz. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery and oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. So, Ed, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what exactly you do. Okay. This is maybe a second or third career for me. Um, uh, I was in something very different from what I do now. I was in... The, I was in um, in the art community, um, worked for many years as a graphic designer. I still paint and actually work through a lot of what I see and do in the palliative care community uh, and end of life uh, through my work. Um, so, and so I've I was in hospice prior to this. Uh, I worked uh, in inpatient hospice. I worked in the community, and I worked in pediatric hospice. Uh, and then this this great opportunity to come and work with this really unbelievably great team here at Smilo uh, afforded itself to me, and um, I've just uh, I love it. I love what I do. So, so Ed, you know, I, I'm often fascinated by people's career trajectories. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to go a little bit deeper for me and tell me how you go from being a graphic designer right. to being involved in palliative care and right. social work. Right. Um, I think a lot of people who end up in this area of social work, social work was something I'd wanted to do for a long, long time. Um, my wife is a social worker. Um uh, but at the time, we uh, were getting together and settling down. Uh, she told me that uh, this the the um, this house isn't big enough for two social workers, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we weren't going to be making a lot of money. So uh, that was part of it, um, and the fact that I think a lot of people who end up in palliative care have histories um, uh, with um, with people who are facing. Um, possibly facing illness, serious illness, uh, and or uh, end of life. So, and I have that history. So, uh, And so because of various life events, you yeah. decided to leave graphic design yes. as a profession yes. and enter social work. Yes, I did. Uh, and It's the best move I ever made. So, a- and yes. in particular, go into palliative care. Yes, in particular, right? So... Tell us a little bit more about palliative care. I I think that many people understand what palliative care is, but I think that there still may be some misperceptions. I mean, certainly, you know, we've had politicians who have uh, had the view that uh, Mm -hmm. palliative care is equivalent to death panels. People may not know the difference between Mm -hmm. palliative care and hospice. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you were involved in Mm -hmm. hospice. So can you kind of clarify for us what exactly is palliative care? What exactly is it that you do? Okay. So um, palliative care is really working with people uh, with serious illness and who are experiencing, in my case, working through the outpatient um, uh, clinic, palliative care clinic. Uh, We deal with people who are experiencing um, a great deal of cancer-related pain. So our 
objective is to comfort them, alleviate that pain as much as possible, um, and see them through the trajectory, whether it's going uh, up or down through this through this process of, of, of cancer. So. so tell us then the difference between palliative care and pain management. Okay. Uh, good question. Um, at this point, I would say that a good deal of what we do in palliative care is we treat people with um, – uh, with pain medications such as opioids and um, and some really intense intensive uh, pain medication, whereas pain management less so. Uh, they're more likely maybe to do more procedures. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not so, but they are more likely to do procedures like pain blocks and that sort of thing. And at this point, really don't do a lot around opioid treatment. Uh, you know, pain relief. Okay, so. but Ed. So you're a social worker. Yes. You're not a doctor. No, I'm not. So how would you prescribe opioids? I don't. The doctors so do. So help us to understand what exactly you do. Okay. So what I do um, is primarily I am there for emotional and psychosocial support. Um, and really I try to be as close to where the patient is as possible. I don't go in with an agenda. I go in, find out where they are, um, what their emotional state is, um, and just really just try to, um, again, try to be where they are. Um, I don't um, – if they, if they want to go to, the, to a place of being uh, – talking about end of life, I will, I will go there. If they don't, then I won't. I'm not going to push them. This is, you know, this is their path. Um, and their their uh, life. And so, so palliative care, it seems to me, is really where patients who have extreme difficulty with a particular illness, in this case, right. cancer, right. are seen and assessed by a multidisciplinary team. Yes, they are. Part of which includes a physician who right. could manage their pain mm-hmm. and their other symptoms, because I right. would anticipate that some of these patients might have terrible nausea or terrible difficulty in eating or yes. breathing or right. whatever, mm-hmm. but also have other issues. Because one can imagine that when you're, you're facing such a tremendous illness as right. cancer, that right. there are a number of things that go through your your head, right. your body. I mean, right. so there's the physical issues, but there's also right. the, the mental issues, the emotional issues, the family right. issues, right. Right. the social issues, right. all of which is an extra burden on you. It is, um, but they all are of a piece towards um, caring for these patients. Um, you know... <sighs> I like to think, and someone actually uh, once told me that that sort of coming into people's lives at this time is almost like coming into a play, and you're sort of dropped from the top of the play into that particular scene or act that you're that you're that you're that you're that, you're, that uh, the patient is in at that particular time. You didn't have anything to do with them prior to their illness, and you more than likely aren't going to have much to do with uh, certainly not the patient going forward, but. Or, or the family, for that matter, though there are times when things carry through a little bit. Um, so you're there in that moment, and that's what you're dealing with. So whatever baggage they've come with 
to there and everybody has, right? Prior, prior to uh, their illness, they have their history. Um, and that carries into the illness stage and carries into the stressors. Um, uh, but again, you're not trying to fix what happened before. You're just trying to sort of keep things as, as focused as possible on the patient, the patient's care, and uh, everybody's emotional well-being as much as possible. Tell but, us about some of the issues that patients discuss with you in, in, in those palliative care uh, oh, talks. Wow. Okay. So it could be a myriad of things. Um, oh, let's see. Um, so we can – we'll possibly talk about um, – Again, some of their history, how they where, where they are within their family unit, um, uh, possibly what what uh, are they experience estrangement from certain families? Right. Are they looking to be um, at that point now that things are getting to a different stage in their in their life? Are they looking for reconciliation of some kind? Um, have they do they know where? The family is that they're reaching out to. Uh, do they know where they are or how to contact them um, and or or not? Or do they have a site of an idea? And we've even done things like that where we've we've called we've called through Google and, uh, and other uh, uh, areas just to try to locate family members and try to reunite people. Yeah, I think that's so, such a critical piece right. because you know sometimes cancer is that stressor right. that really um, kind of gives people a crystallized view of relationships, right. either relationships that they're in a bad relationship right. and it's falling apart, right. um, and they just need that emotional support to right. say, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe this was not a great relationship when you mm-hmm. were well, and now mm-hmm. it's just come to the forefront mm-hmm. um, that this wasn't healthy for you, and mm-hmm. you know we're here to help you right. as you move on. Right. Or the controvert, mm-hmm. the contra to that point, mm-hmm. which was the desire to really work through relationships and strengthen those relationships um, because you now have this event, which. Uh, is pulling people together. Different patients come with different kind of stressors, different family dynamics that really play in. Mm -hmm. I I guess the other thing, Ed, is that I can think of in terms of the family dynamic Mm -hmm. is with regards to children, when either cancer affects a parent Mm -hmm. or a grandparent Mm -hmm. and how they have that conversation with their child or their grandchild. Right, right. and the other side to that coin is what do you do when the patient is the child? Right. Um, and children going through cancer, I can imagine, puts tremendous stress on the family. It does. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So in my, in my, um, my guise as a, as a, as a um, palliative care um, social worker, I don't really deal with with children in the sense that of uh, children who are, who are um, uh, dealing with cancer. Um, I did when I was uh, in um, hospice. Um, I de- dealt with, um, with pediatrics quite a bit. Um, th- it depends. It depends on the age of the – uh, you know, it depends on the age of the, the child, 
because at certain points in the child's um, – if the child's very young, obviously you're doing most of your work with the parents at that point. If the uh, child is more towards pre and, and adolescence, you're dealing with them and the parents. Um, and then up to 21 is when you can – you know, is, is really what's considered sort of pediatric hospice. Um, you're dealing a little bit more with that, that, that young adult patient. Um, and some with with uh, some with the the family and the parents too. The dynamics obviously are different according to the age, right? So, uh, a twenty one year old who's who's dealing with um, or twenty or twenty one year old who's dealing with end of life issues or cancer, um, they've already had a history with their with their parents, and there may be things that were going on prior to their to their. Uh, uh, prior to their um, cancer diagnosis. Um, so that comes into play and how that intermingles and how they sort of, uh, how they sort of deal with, with um, uh, how parents and, and the children deal with the issues that they've dealt with before and how that sort of fits in with trying to come to terms with their illness and what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Yeah, there. and I can imagine that it's a whole other dynamic when you have parents who are going through a, a cancer diagnosis and have young children mm-hmm. uh, and have so. to explain to their child what's going on. Right. We're going to pick up on that conversation right after we take a short break for okay. a medical minute. Okay. Please stay tuned to learn more about the role of social work in palliative care with my guest, Ed Schwartz. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner of the many individuals and organizations who are working together to end cancer as a cause of death. Learn more about the Your Cancer movement at yourcancer.org. This is a medical minute about smoking cessation. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers and operate on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Edward Schwartz. We're talking about his role in palliative care. And right before the break, Ed, we were talking about some of the things that you as a social worker do mm-hmm. as part of that interdisciplinary team mm-hmm. in 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 uh, palliative care. And one of the things we mentioned was the idea of meeting patients where they were and kind of being dropped into their life mm-hmm. um, when they've just been faced with this massive diagnosis of mm-hmm. cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your role. I can imagine that when an individual is faced with a diagnosis of cancer, let alone all of the physical pain that they have to face, mm-hmm. The issues with regards to relationships and spouses and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. 
uh, which we talked a little bit about. But how do they convey that information to a young child? Hmm. I, I can imagine that they're they're torn. On the one hand, you have to take care of yourself, and you've got all of these medical appointments, and you're in pain. And mm-hmm. and on the mm-hmm. other hand, you want to protect your child from, mm-hmm. you know, this terrible diagnosis and the right. thought that oh my God, one day they might not have a parent. But on the other hand, you have to tell them, and I'm sure that that can be really frightening and harrowing for a lot of people. It is, and we I, we tend to give them either. Um, some literature to possibly read, um, coach them through it a little bit, um, and try to tell them to be as truthful as possible within the framework of the child's age, right? So age-appropriate explanation as to what's going on. But again, to be honest, to be somewhat realistic, not to be um, uh, too... um, I don't know, not to not to not to fantasize about what you know what this is or where mom or dad is going, that sort of thing, but just to be in the moment and to be as realistic as possible. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. sure that must be difficult. It's difficult. And I, many times I'll ask, do would the parents like for me to be sitting in on the meeting with them? Is yeah. that would that make it easier? Um, and is it a situation where uh, mom or dad who's got the illness, if they're at a point at that particular, I don't, you know, at that point, I don't know how, you know, how realistic they've been with the children at that point. Some people are very realistic. Some people have held it off till the end. Um, and so where, you know, where do we go from, you know, where do we go from there? Do we, um, and I, what I try to do is um, uh, if I can't speak to, if that patient who's ill can't be in the room, then I have to, I'm helping, um, helping the surviving parent um, talk to their child as much as possible and, and to, you know, and, and to not be as, afraid of that process and to be there, be open about any questions they have, right. any, any questions those children might have, because they do, children have questions and children pick up on things um, ra- rather quickly. They hear things, obviously, we all know that they, they hear things that we think they don't hear. Right. Um, and if they have those, uh, um, those ideas in their head without explanation, uh, it happens to adults too. If you're given par- part of an explanation, where does your mind go? It right. doesn't go to the, the, be- the necessarily to the best places. Most of the time, it doesn't. It's going out to those to those really frightening areas, and that's where uh, you know the the honesty, um, but the compassion of of the parent, and if there's a professional involved, the professional too to to help them through that process. I would imagine that another area of conversation that you as a social worker have with patients is with regards to their own sense of mortality. Yes. Um, Because I can imagine that when you're faced with a diagnosis of cancer, that you become acutely aware of your own mortality Mm -hmm. and what that means Mm -hmm. and what happens. Um, And that's really scary. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so, when I when I meet uh, patients um, on the hospice side, I would do this, uh, and I do this on the palliative care side also, depending on where they are in their 
um, their either disease progression or their treatment pr uh, progression. Um, and depending on where, obviously, as I said before, I'm sort of taking their lead. If I see that they're, you know, they're feeling very anxious about where they are in the process or if they're feeling somewhat depressed about it, um, I will ask about what are their are, – do they have fears or concerns about what is about to happen? Um, and have they thought about end of life? I'm not necessarily that um, um, in their face about it, but we – after conversing for a while, we sort of work through it. And then um, if they're comfortable enough, we start talking about it. And many times they will talk about where they are. And a lot of times they'll start by saying, well, I'm not afraid of death. What they are afraid of is the process, getting there. Um, and many times that's, uh, uh, um, that involves the pain that they're going to experience. Um, and then some other aspects. What is it going to be like as I approach? What can I expect? Um, am I going to be um, awake through this whole process? Um, or is there going to be a place where I'm not going to be awake and not going to be able to communicate? So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a variety. It depends on who the patient is, how much they know. Some people have had experience with situations in end of life. Some people have had no experience, of, uh, you know, uh, with end of life at all. So, again, you're sort of playing uh, with where they are at that particular moment in their life. So, so a few times now you've mentioned hospice, mm -hmm. and you've mentioned palliative care. Right, right. Can you put a finer point on the differences between the two? Yes. Okay. So um, from a, from a, um, from a uh, uh, concrete place, um, hospice has to have a six-month or, or, or less diagnosis um, given by a physician. Um, palliative care does not have that. You know, doesn't have that barrier. Um, the other thing is people who are um, undergoing palliative care are usually people who start off with a serious illness. You do not have to be facing end of life. And there's sort of the great myth that as soon as people hear palliation or palliative, that that means or, or they're being referred for palliative care, that somehow the doctor's telling them that this is it you're about to die. And that's far from the, from the truth. Um, yes, is there a place for a palliative care and end of life and taking people through to that other, to the, to, to the hospice place? Yes, very much so. Um, and, we're, and we're very, I would say we're comfortable with that and we're trained well for that. Um, but again, it's palliative care does not have that, um, that, Connotation. That connotation, mm -hmm. yeah of, yeah, of having to mean that you're facing the end of your life. Um, so, so palliative care, it really seems, is is really to palliate symptoms, as you started it is. with. It right? is, and let me let me say also around hospice, um, we use the word they, people use the word palliative care also, and that's used for it's palliative means comfort. Calming. It means it exact. That's what the definition of the word is. So it's got. It slips into hospice, but as a more as a um, uh, as an adjective mm -hmm. as to what the treatment is going to be, mm -hmm. as opposed to um, you know as as opposed to a practice, which is what palliative care is. Right. So, yeah. And I 
you know, when you talk about symptom management in mm-hmm. terms of palliative care, and you started off by talking about, you know, controlling people's pain, mm-hmm. um, often with opioids mm-hmm. or strong painkillers, mm-hmm. which is the difference between palliative care and mm-hmm. pain management, for example, which mm-hmm. can be more procedural. Mm-hmm. You know, I would imagine that yet another fear that people have when they hear opioids is, oh, my God. Am I going to get addicted? I mean, we hear about the opioid crisis all the time, and now here you are giving me opioids, and, you know, um, what does this mean? Right. How how do you deal with that? Um, We deal with it by by saying doctors aren't here to create an addiction for you. They're here to treat your pain, Um, and this is the best way they know how to do it. You're under a doctor's care. They're monitoring what's going on. Uh, so it's, you know, from that standpoint, you're in good hands. Is that to say that you can't develop some sort of, um, um, sort of psychiatric dependence of some kind at some point? Yeah, it's possible. People are living longer with their illnesses, um, and in doing so are experiencing pain for longer periods of time, and they do need that help. But I would say not to be afraid of taking your pain medication. Um, it's there to help you and it's going to help your emotional state. There's a literature shows that there's a real um, connection between people's emotional state and their level of pain that they're experiencing. So um, it's important to uh, to be as comfortable as possible if mm-hmm. you can and to and to and we try to help people through that anxiety of, of, of becoming either addicts, addicts or, or uh, you know, drug dependent. So. And so you've mentioned, you know, how palliative care is really, it's really a team approach. It's, yes, it, you is. know, you've got doctors who are prescribing mm-hmm. opioids who are, you know, kind of managing the medical symptoms, whether mm-hmm. it's pain or mm-hmm. nausea or constipation or uh, difficulty swallowing. I imagine that there are many, many symptoms on the physical side yes. that the medical professionals are dealing with. Right. And then you come in and you're really trying to deal with the more emotional side mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, relationships with families, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, children, mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of working through the fears that they may have right. of end of life. Right. I imagine that you would also help them when they're stressed about what am I going to do in terms of my employment? What am I going to do in terms of making ends meet? How am right. I going to meet the financial bills? Right, right. Talk a little bit about that aspect of it as well. Okay. So – and. All of those things play into what into the um, patients and the families that that we see, um, and we all have we all do play our part. So um, uh, we have a very holistic sense of how we treat people, um, and there's overlap, right? So doctors may be treating the the pain and uh, through medication, but they're also there to help them through the emotional aspects of what's going on, and they're trained to listen and talk about those aspects. APRNs the same thing. Nurses the same thing. Um, you know, it's, is it on the level that someone like a social worker or a psychologist is uh, is dealing with it? No, and that's kind of, that's really what we're there for. I I like to tell people that probably eighty five to ninety percent of what I feel that I do is around their emotional and psychosocial needs. Um, but then there's the concrete areas, um, and. The concrete areas are very important also because they can help um, 
alleviate anxiety also, right? So helping someone get a, a grant of, of, of for some of a certain amount of money to help them pay a bill for that month. Those are those things, or transportation to and from the hospital, all very important things. Um, so those, so it's 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 anything that's really going to make uh, the patient comfortable living, whether it's their pain or their um, their their uh, you know their quality of life in terms of how they're going to how they you know how they're how they're dealing with their 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 lives through this. Crisis, really. Yeah, I wonder: so. is there other members of the team who may deal with kind of the more spiritual aspects? Yes, I, I can we do. imagine that that yes. for some people and I, might be. I didn't be, mean to leave. leave yeah, out no. The but, chaplains on the right. chaplain on our staff, who is, which who is great and wonder and and she's incredible. She um, and listens, and so at times when people have more spiritual aspects of 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 concern. Um, and those aren't things that I'm necessarily trained to do. Uh, the chaplain uh, comes in and is able to um, help quite a bit. Um, uh, and not just through classic religious practice. It's, you know, it's truly, I think that's why we use the word spiritual now, um, to sort of take that connotation out that it's just around traditional religion. You know, the, the chaplain's there to help you through any sort of existential sort of crisis. Edward Schwartz is a licensed clinical social worker. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.